0: Welcome to this month's edition of Pulp Nonfiction, the paper and packaging podcast. I'm Greg Johnson with Sustana Fiber, and as always, I'm happy to be joined by my co-host, Dr. Marta Pazos. Hi, Greg. So, Marta, doesn't it seem like food is always in the news? That's why we couldn't be more excited to have Raish Brand, a passionate food marketer and business strategist, as well as a startup advisor at Star Strong Capital, or SSC, in New Haven, Connecticut, here with us today to help us better understand the important impact that food plays in sustaining our health and well-being, as well as that of our environment. Raish, it's great to see you again, and thank you for visiting with us today.
1: Thanks for having me, Greg. It's so exciting to be on a podcast with you, and I've been following this since the beginning, so it's very nice to meet you and Marta live and have a chance to chat
0: raish you've told me that food you believe food is medicine can can you elaborate on that a little bit and and what that that sentiment means to you as, as well of all as all of us
1: absolutely um so it's it's interesting because I have a background in food but I it started much earlier than that when I was a little kid and I Everything that I ate, I had an issue with um, from like zero to seven. And so my parents were constantly trying to figure out the right diet metrics and what worked. Um, and so I've kind of, from my very core, been focused on dieting and and as a part of that, also health and wellness. So as I got into my um, career, I started working in kind of large, big box Uh, food stores like McDonald's, Compass Group, Chobani, and all along the way and along that journey, I tried to find a way to implement some of those healing techniques from food into everything that I was doing. So examples of that are just trying to use and leverage food as your fuel, as your actual fuel for everything that you're doing in your day. Um, So the principles of food as as medicine or food as medicine is taking a look at everything that you consume from a granular level, from the air you breathe to the water you intake, to the food you choose, and make sure that it's something that makes you feel good.
2: I, you know, I'm I'm having like um reaction hearing McDonald's and Food for Medicine in the same, you know, not necessarily context, but certainly the same couple, you know, the same paragraph. How do you reconcile that?
1: It's been a hard one, honestly. Um, So I think, so it was my first job. I was 14, it was the only place that would hire a 14 year old legally. And my friend's mom had actually um, bought a a franchise and it was her first summer. So the entire um, softball team decided to work there and I was the drive-through girl. Um, So I kind of started my food journey from a professional standpoint in that very moment. I like obsessed over the way that, The kind of mcdonald's operations ran and it from that moment forward i kind of had an opportunity to see how big business worked and i realized that we're doing it all wrong but the principles of in in terms of what we're consuming but the principles of how it actuates and the way that it gets into your body that's the tool that we need to take from what mcdonald's has created So I believe that McDonald's has the greatest power on planet Earth to create change, because if you think about the mass market and the number of people that consume McDonald's every single day, we have a real opportunity to use and leverage the tools that they've set forth for us. So we can't force people, consumers, to um, opt into something if they're unwilling, but we can leverage the success and the power that companies like PepsiCo have And now they're starting to invest in new technologies like food tech and innovation around food. And those items, one of the core principles that they are leading with is something that still tastes delicious. So even though it might have a food as medicine base, they have something within the structure, the confines of that brand going forward that still retain that core principle of delicious. And that's why how the new consumer public is starting to shift.
0: Well, tell us. As a former consultant at Chobani, how how did they influence your your food philosophy, and and did did that play a part in your your food as medicine mantra?
1: So it's interesting. Um, actually, what I took from Chobani, and I loved that experience so much because it gave me an opportunity to actually connect with the customers. So my role at Chobani was supporting the food service community and helping the food service community to onboard with Chobani. When I came in um, in 2013, we were like losing customers hand over fist at mm-hmm. in the on the food service side because things weren't working the way that the end consumer, in this case, the culinary kitchen staff person, needed it to arrive. And so we did everything from creating a new pack size to a, like a new container for the product to come in to um, education and materials surrounding. Greek yogurt and what that looked like. And remember in 2013, Greek yogurt had still really not hit kind of the mass market. I mean, Chobani was doing quite well, but they hadn't really expanded into all channels. And the way that we got there was actually surprisingly through McDonald's and other key partnerships where we would do really big test um, opportunities. So in in one case, we did a a launch in Southern California McDonald's with a, a parfait, a Chobani parfait that was on the McDonald's menu. And it was like teasing and testing that product out into the consumer market really made a big difference. The other thing that Chobani did that I think is exceptional, it was before I arrived, but I had the privilege of creating two other locations for it, was they had a cafe. And what they found is that people weren't enjoying the flavor of, um, you know, the Greek yogurt just as it was. But that's not how Greek yogurt's actually intended to be eaten. So if you go over to Turkey and to other parts of the world where Greek yogurt is prevalent, um, you see it mixed in with all of these unique combinations of flavors. So they created this cafe to actually um, act as a showcase for the talented product as the base. And we had three beautiful little scoops of yogurt and we called them Peaks and Valleys. And then we would do a gorgeous drizzle of olive oil and, or um, you know, agave or honey or some kind of item. And then we would do a variety of different toppings.
2: I remember when Giovanni... Launched For the first time ever in the U.S., I saw savory flavors of yogurt at the shelf. My favorite was the tomato basil. Everybody was like, are you crazy? That's disgusting. They took it away. And I'm like, I, I, I wish that I could have that delicious Chobani totally. tomato basil. Flavor. You
1: can. <laughs> you can still have it in the cafe in New York. I believe it's still on the menu. And if not so there... Good.
2: I don't live in New York. Unfortunately, I, I wish.
1: We have one at Woodlands, uh, Walmart in Woodlands, Texas also, uh, which is kind of fun.
0: Well, Raish, beyond Shabani, you've been in, involved in a lot of other fascinating food businesses. And I know right now you're the CEO of One Potato, um, the Los Angeles-based meal kit company. Um, what's the, the meal kit space like these days? And, and, What's it like being a CEO?
1: So the long story short is I left Chobani and I went into venture capital and I was in the process of raising my first fund during the pandemic. It did not go well. My family and I figured the better choice for us was to move back east from San Francisco and we ended up in Connecticut. When I moved to Connecticut, I actually met uh, my partner who's the perfect match for me and we met at a book club, um, which was pretty exciting and, and a great group to be part of. And her organization is called Star Strong Capital. Uh, we're actually in the process of rebranding it for a new launch in the beginning of the new year. And she invests in early stage companies with um, real-time returns. So when I met Spring and she was on this journey of helping to invest in some of these lower margin businesses where you're going to see a two times return or two to five times return, that was very appealing to me. Because in the food industry, again, you're not going to see the 30-time to return exits like you would see in a fabulous SaaS organization. It's just, there's too many variables that create yeah. that dynamic. One Potato is a business that was invested in before I arrived. And when I arrived, I said, oh, we invested in this business, interesting. I'd really like to dig into the numbers. And um, so I did, and the numbers weren't adding up correctly. And I reached out to the, um, at the time, the co-founders. And we had a really nice discussion. They were really open to support. And I came in to kind of support them. After digging into their books, I felt like there was a lot of room for improvement and opportunity. And they were really willing to have me help. So it's now um, two months in of figuring out our game plan together. Um, I have actually taken on an ownership level position. And um, I'm now CEO. So Spring and I share in that responsibility together. Um, She's chairman of the board and I'm the CEO and we still have Chris and Catherine working alongside of us, which are the original co-founders. So that feels pretty exciting to me. Um, On the meal kit side, it's really hard business. I mean, again, logistics are crushing us right now. But one of the very exciting things that we've done because of the nature of how the business started, um, Catherine has this mommy blog called Weelicious. And we make the menu items from Weelicious's website. So she creates these, she tests them out, just like Chavani does, real-time audience. She gets immediate feedback, and then we make it into a meal. And I love that. So we're actually a media company that happens to make food for families. And to me, that feels really exciting because I have young kids, and you know, I'm part of a great community of women who have you know, who are our leaders in our community and happen to have children and we're all busy and we're stretched for time. And the fact that, you know, one potato can actually create a pre-prepared or prepped product that I can basically put on the stove for a few minutes to make me feel like I cook something delicious and healthy, but it looks amazing when it's done. Like it came from a restaurant that feels awesome to me. So I'm excited about the position. Not super ideal that it's in California and I live in Connecticut, but, you know, it's what it is.
0: Raish, I know you know that Sustaina Fibers, recycled Fiber, is used for all kinds of sustainable food and beverage packaging from paper cups and carryout containers to sandwich wraps and even microwavable sleeves. That being said, what do you see in the meal kit space as far as brands shifting from paper from plastic, especially for single-use applications?
1: So that's a really good question, Greg, and I don't know the answer yet. From our standpoint, we deal with so many logistics that it is really hard for us outside of the outside box to be able to manage our ship out with anything other than plastic. Um, And that's frustrating for me as somebody who believes in sustainability, and it's also really frustrating, I think, for our customers um, one of the ideas that we have on the go-forward basis is to work with you, with Sestana, to come up with some kind of very cool product that could be unique and revolutionary. When I look at these boxes that are getting shipped today, I mean, there are a couple of brands on the market. There's Tempur-Pak and there's climasol. And people are working kind of collaboratively within those categories. And I would say that they have not really expanded beyond it yet. Um, but I think that there's a way for us to get there. I will put a little plug in for my husband who um, chooses <laughs> to be a um, a supporter for schools across our community in Connecticut. And one of the things that he's done with all of the packagings, he makes them into houses with the kids. And I think oh, that wow. there are lots of fun things that you can do, um, whether it's boxes or plastics, but I feel like you know um there has to be a solution in here that becomes real.
2: What would be the the, the hurdles to get that um, a, a rolled out?
1: it's well, it's kind of like having a bunch of mini operations so you have different people who have to own have to create ownership in that make sure that people are actually showing up for their jobs building the recipes correctly, you know, that the flavors still are consistent, you have supply chain issues in different ways, because now you're buying from different farmers across the country, as opposed to just like one hub of farmers. Um, So it does really increase your time and energy put into um, creating that overall plan. But once it's set up, I mean, Interestingly, when we think about um, media and meal kits, that's the way I'm going to think about it, um, and this idea of creating this media company, somebody like a Mr. Beast, if you're not familiar, you should check him up on YouTube. I mean, he made like $100 million in a weekend by creating a product that he sold through the internet that were made in ghost kitchens, and he just licensed a burger recipe. So there are very creative things that people are doing everywhere, and I feel like there's got to be a different model. Um, So one of the ideas that we have is to open up a second location in Connecticut, um, and we're doing that by working through our ecosystem and the partners that we have in that community, um, and we'll see. I don't know yet, Marta, but I I agree that there has to be a different way. So I'll give you like a little snippet of my grand vision. (laughs) So I think what Weelicious is, and if you haven't had a chance to check it out, please do, because I think it's a really interesting company. So Catherine McCord, model slash actress from the 80s and 90s, created this brand when she started having children. She is truly invested in food. So she and I believe and speak from the same song sheet when it comes to food as medicine, just I'm back of house and she's front of house. (laughs) So think about it from that perspective. But what she has created is a model that really does work. She is a mommy blogger who created a series of recipes, who's on TV, who's created kind of all of those models. And she's based in LA and that is her heart and her hub. What about another mom that's based in DC that has her own set of principles and tools. And we build a kitchen around her and we build a brand around her that's still under our same One Potato umbrella, but really speaks the storyline for what the community is that she is currently serving. So and that's kind of the way that I'd like to move forward. I think that there's an opportunity for us to really improve upon the overall overall model of One Potato, but also meal kits in general. Like we are not a Blue Apron. We are not a HelloFresh. We are a very high touch very focused on the family meal service, where we want to know you, we want to know your food allergies, we want to support you and your family to make sure that they have what you want. And for us, that's never going to work on a national scale, because we're too far away from you to make it really count. And one of the things that I believe is that our grocery stores are going to go away in the future. And what we'll be left with is hydroponic vertical growing spaces that actually pick and pack and distribute in last-mile scenarios right from that operation. So, so I believe that the family farms will disappear and become indoors at some point or participate in the overall ecosystem surrounding this kind of pick-and-pack operation.
0: But, but Rache, you you said a minute ago you think that actual grocery stores as we know them today will disappear?
1: They will disappear in the next 15 to 20 years. That is my prediction.
2: I don't, I don't think it's going to be that fast and I don't, you know, I don't see it going that drastic in the next 15 to 20 years, but I do believe that there is something to be said about hydroponic spaces, urban, urban growing, right? Urban, thin totally. and growing uh, and, 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 and less of the centralizing of farming in, 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 in big food operations, right?
0: Let me ask you, Raish, about this. There, there's a new book out called the oldest cure in the world by Steve Hendrick and it's about um fasting and you know fasting's been around for thousands of years practiced by many major religions around the world um they they talk about how how good it is for you what are your thoughts on on fasting intermittent fasting i know that's a pretty big topic today
1: yeah i love it i actually so interestingly i haven't had time to eat since like sunday i mean i eat like you know, when I'm dying essentially because I'm running around like crazy being a new CEO and, you know, basically like a chicken with my head come off, cut off. Um, but like I have an avocado when I'm dying of starvation, I just eat the whole thing. Um, or I, you know, have a salad or last night I ordered like Thai really late at night. And I feel great. (laughs) Like, it's so weird. But the less I eat, the better I feel. I have green juice like twice a day, you know? Marta, to your point, we have emphasized and obsessed over diet and health and exercise. And I think about this all the time. Like, I used to drive to the gym. I drove to the gym. It was like two (laughs) miles away. And I drove to the gym. And I now, as an adult and parent, I'm busy. I don't have time to do that. And so I'm thinking about the same thing with food. Like I used to go out to these super expensive, super like delicious restaurants. I'd order everything on the menu and now I just don't eat as much and I don't have to go to the gym as much and I don't care as much. You know, it's like a totally different mindset when you're busy and you're kind of in it with your family.
2: One of the things that I constantly tell people as a, you know, as a, as a person that gives advice on skincare is you need to find out what works for you. Because what works for your friend may not be what works for you. So um the good thing about all of these practices is not is not like going under the knife, like when you know, you know, when you're gonna go either a liposuction or a lifting or Botox or things like that. You can actually experiment. So I would always recommend people to try and see what works best for them. Totally
0: with you. That's good, that's good advice. Well, Raish, as, as we wrap up our conversation with you today, it's it's been a, a real pleasure, but I just wanted to ask you on a, a personal as well as professional basis in your everyday life, uh, could you share with us just a couple of things you do to help the environment from a sustainability standpoint?
1: Oh, yes. Okay. So another plug for my husband. Um, he is a Zen Buddhist and artist and we live in the woods in Connecticut. Um, and we live very modestly. So we have, we drive a totally two eco-friendly cars. Um, and our, um, I would say our footprint is pretty minor. We don't buy from Amazon um, unless we absolutely cannot find it anywhere else. Uh, which I hate to say that because I think Amazon is a brilliant business model, but I think there's so much waste in the way that they develop and ship. That's really hard for me. Um, in terms of you know our clothing and how we buy, we buy only from thrift stores or secondhand. Um, we don't believe in producing you know another item. There are plenty of items on the planet. We also lived um, for six years in Guatemala, and we saw what happens to all that fast fashion and where it lands. And at the end of the day, there's just so much trash on this planet that we need to start you know, trying to find alternative uses for it. We absolutely do not need to create anything new. Um, so we support most of the brands that we support. I can't say 100%, but I would say many of the brands that we support believe in that same mindset. And we work really hard to um, make sure that our kids understand the value of a dollar and hard work. In everything that they do. Um, we play outside and we play games. We don't really love video games, but that's obviously a huge part of culture. Um, I don't know. That's pretty much it, I guess.
0: Well, Raish, thank you so much. Uh, we we really have enjoyed our conversation with you today. We're, we're really grateful for all the many insights on sustainability you've, you've given us and uh, continued success on the food front at One Potato.
1: Thank you. Can I just make one last thing, Greg? Certainly. Uh, So, Greg, I just wanted to say thank you to you. You've been an absolute tremendous support throughout my career. And in this last year when I really needed an ear and somebody to listen to all of the crazy things I've been going through, you have been such a tremendous support. So thank you. And um, I don't know how long we've been friends, but it feels like forever. And I'm really grateful to you.
0: Well, hey, you're more than welcome. And uh, I I really value our friendship.
1: Yes. Thank you guys. Have a good one.
0: Bye-bye. Join us next month for a new episode of Pulp Nonfiction, the paper and packaging podcast, and be sure to visit sustanafiber.com for previous podcasts, as well as for information on all our recycled fiber products for your sustainable packaging needs. Thanks again. Remember to recycle and we'll see you again soon.